Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Today we have Bill Gross with us on the show. Bill is an expert in Los Angeles probate and also a broker and branch manager at EXP Realty California. He will talk about probate and why probate is a niche and a good investment opportunity. He also shares the process of handling probate cases and how do you go about finding the leads and nurturing them. So let's welcome Bill Gross. All right. Today, I want to welcome Bill Gross. Bill is a broker associate and branch manager with EXP Realty in California, specializing in probate and legal real estate. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. You want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, you left off good looking and charming. (laughs) I've been in real estate since 1986. So I'm a lifer. Love it. I feel sorry for people who are in other businesses. I've been different aspects of real estate. I've been sales, management, ownership. I've been in real estate sales and mortgages along the way. About three years ago, I found myself exiting out of management and had to start over again. And so I'd known about the probate niche. My father's attorney. I clerked for attorneys. And so three years ago, kind of out of desperation to make some money, find a niche and work at it. I researched probate, loved it right away. It just fit for me. I think I created a plan that worked for me. There's different aspects to it. So I started three years ago and I've you know flipped a couple of houses a year as an investor. I've sold 30 houses a year as an agent the last two years and built a team underneath me as a result. All, all my lead generation focused in probate. So I'm married. I have, we have one child and then we have our first grandchild. We have a grandson just born about a month ago. So I'm in Los Angeles, California. So that's, that's kind of a, the highlights on me. Awesome. So you said you've been in real estate for a couple decades now. Like what what kind of drew you into the real estate realm in the first place? Truth is, you know, I was in electronics computers, high tech, and I enjoyed it academically and intellectually, but my brother was in real estate and we went to lunch a couple of times and he just kind of said, Hey, just play along like you're my partner. And went to a couple offices and I just liked the interaction with people. I, I felt that I'd done real, I've been doing well in computers and electronics, but there's something about people you know, wanting your help, wanting to help you make, create wealth for them that was really exciting. And so I've just always been you know, one of the most important people in people's lives as a result of being in real estate, helping them buy a house, sell a house, get a mortgage, save money, make money. I think I just enjoy really working with people and, and, and creating that value for them. So that's been my focus, I think. Nice. Are you still working with your brother by any chance? No, he retired. Okay. He, 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 uh, he, was, he stayed in mortgages and built up a nice rental portfolio and has retired. He had some health issues and was able to do that you know, a few years ago, about 10 years ago. Nice. And so did both of you have bought and sold investment real estate or, or do you guys still own some investment real estate? He does. I'm more of a lipstick flipper. He kind of loves when tenants call him with problems and working on all that. To me, that's a nightmare. 
when I have a problem in my own house, I call my son-in-law. I don't even hang pictures on the wall. I just don't have that physical sense of things. I don't enjoy it. So for me, I got into real estate to build wealth. And as a real estate broker doing a high volume, I see a lot of deals. And every year I pick a couple and I just flip them. I, I buy it and fix it up and turn it over and, and invest that money in something else. So I do about two of those a year. Nice. That's great. So, and then I guess real estate is an investment. It's just, you have to know your, maybe when I'm done selling real estate every day, I could see doing that, but I'm just in it all the time. Like the last thing I want is to go out and go, you know, go look for a property to buy and hold. It just, it's just, that, that doesn't interest me today at all. Well, California is a super tough market right now with sales prices being so high. So can't be, but I also believe you have to do things fit you and, and also fit the time of life you're in. And I guess my brother loved it when he had problems with houses. He'd drive out there, you know, Durantry Gamunga on a weekend and look at the toilet and the plumbing and the this and the that and decide would he invest, you know, the money to upgrade or redo a roof or whatever it was. I just, you know, I do that all day long in my job. So in my business. So I, I just, maybe when I'm done selling houses in a couple of years, with, with my first grandchild, I feel like I have another couple of years of sales and then I'll back off. Maybe that's when I'll start buying property for portfolio. So Bill, like what aspect do you really enjoy about real estate investing or I guess about real estate? You know, I think that I have my own show I do twice a week where people call in with problems, I help solve them. And, and I think I like helping people individually. I like helping people make a lot of money. There's something really exciting about, you know, changing somebody's life. I, I work with a lot of first-time investors. I work with, you know, regular investors, professionals. And I think, you know, helping them solve a problem and make money, build wealth, provide for the families, I find really exciting. So, and it's been good for me. I really, you know, I think that real estate's a huge industry with a lot of different ways you can work it. And I, I've tried to find a way that I get to do mostly what I like to do and not much of what I don't like to do. Okay. And you said about three years ago, you got into probate. So like, tell us about that journey. Like, how did that, how did you find that niche? And then like, what did you do to get really researched up on it? And, and now mm -hmm. where you are today? So I've been in real estate a long time. I knew of probate. I'd done some probate deals like a lot of agents. I'd done one here or there. But as I was getting ready to build, you know, to, to make my transition into sales, I knew I had to find a niche to build my business around and a brand to build my business around. And so when I kind of did a self-inventory, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What, what kind of customers do I have? What, what's my profile of customer, my career look like? It just kept coming back to attorneys as being a central piece of that for me. My, now, my father was an attorney. I clerked for attorneys. I was pre-law in college. Didn't, go, didn't get a law degree. But that's my personality. And so working with attorneys was natural. Going to court was a natural for me. And so there's a lot of ways to work probate. The way I chose to work it, well, let me back up. So I took a couple training classes. The best one I recommend is alltheleads.com. And I tell people, you have to even buy it. To just get involved with them for free. They have a great website. They have a YouTube channel with weekly masterminds and monthly role play that you can listen to and get trained up on. I did take the coaching. It was great. And one of the things the coach challenged us to do was actually go to court and watch the probate court process. Bill, for our listeners that maybe don't know what probate is, do you want to give a quick explanation? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So probate, a friend of mine, uh, Tawny English, taught me that probate is when you basically sue yourself and then give the leftover crumbs to your family. 
Meaning if you don't plan your estate properly, you end up having the court. Now, what could be worse than having the state of California tell you after you're dead, who you get to give your money to? You can have a will, and this is a big misconception. People think, why well, have a will? But a will is only probated or effectuated in court in probate. So probate is where the state decides how things are divided up. You can avoid the state deciding if you create an entity called the living trust, or I should say in most cases, you can avoid it. It's not 100%. And so I really encourage people to look into creating even a basic living trust will help you 95% of the time avoid having to go to probate. But absent that, if you just have a will or have nothing, basically somebody has to fill out paperwork, go to the court and say, well, so-and-so died and he has a house and he has this property. And you know, what do we do with it? Here's a will that says we should do this. And the judge is a process and the, the court goes through that. So I went to court and watched. And one thing I watched was how much money people spent on legal fees, how much money people spent with two attorneys fighting each other and just chewing up all the assets, how, how emotionally draining it was to imagine parents dying and having three or four siblings fighting in court over the house. Who gets it? Who doesn't get it? It's just heartbreaking to watch. And in particular, when I was doing it, it, it was an interesting time because it particularly hits, not that I am, but I noticed how it particularly hits the African-American community in Los Angeles. It just destroys their wealth, absolutely destroys it. It's just heartbreaking to watch. And so when you see a problem like that, I felt, well, I, I could help with that. And so I can help customers understand some basic procedures. I can't give legal advice, but I can tell them what they can do to avoid certain problems. I can refer them to some cheaper alternatives, some self-help alternatives, kind of the, think of the Quicken or the QuickBooks of probate real estate. There's companies that do that service, do it really well. There's a lot to do it poorly. I ran data to determine that 95% of probate cases in LA County were done by attorneys who did one probate or less in the prior 12 months. And wow. I found it shocking because how can you do anything well, especially when it's very detail-oriented, mm-hmm. We even done but one year. A year. <laughs> and going to court, you see that effect. I would be shocked at how 90% of the attorneys or 95% were completely incompetent. Shocking. Now, there's a 5% who are pros. They're on their game. They're like the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants. They know their stuff. They know the judges. They know each other. There's a world of difference, but the fees aren't that different. In fact, it's the opposite. The ones who are incompetent charge more because it costs more at the long run to do it wrong. So I saw that as an opportunity to help customers find cheaper alternatives, to refer to the right attorneys, to answer some basic questions. So when I went there, I just realized the opportunity that was there and I started going to court every day. This is pre-COVID. And I would go there to meet families and try to help them. I would meet attorneys and network with them. I network with investors there and families. And then during COVID, I just moved all that to online, to Zoom calls, things like that. Can you attend probate court on Zoom? So yes and yes. You can attend probate court if you're a party, which also includes if you're an investor buying a property, you can attend either, they don't use Zoom, but they use, I think, Microsoft Teams in LA County. And it varies by county. Every county has different procedures. So you can attend on, on video. And then in some cases, you can go in person. If you're, if you're a party to the case, if you're bidding on a property, you can you can't just go to all of them. You can't just pop into court online like you used to. It costs about 15 bucks a visit to see the individual court case. So whereas I used to be able to go to court every day for free, I actually had to park my car and I had to go there. 
Mm-hmm. And the other benefit was networking where you're there, you meet people. Video, obviously, you don't get the networking of it effect. But if you have a particular property you want to research about in LA, you can, you can sign up and see it via video. But it's yeah. different in every state. It's different in every county. So I, you know, I would urge somebody who's interested in probate. The first thing I was telling me is go to your county, just search your county name. What, what county is Portland in? Multnomah. We got like the Tri-County area. We got Multnomah, Clackamas, and Washington. There you go. So I would just search the name of the county and probate court, and you'll find the official court office website, and they'll have the resources there. They'll have when they have cases, some have calendars, some have the actual cases. So I would start with always the website of the individual county that you're doing, doing business in. And, and they all have little different procedures, but they usually be on the county website, what you can and can't do. So Bill, can you kind of break down you know, how a normal probate transaction goes just real estate wise. Like I know that there's, you know, some arguing when it comes to the the heirs, but like once they have decided, all right, you know, it's going to get split up this way. And now the asset needs to get sold. How does that work exactly? And, you know, kind of like, what are the, what are you trying to navigate as you go through that process? As an investor or as a as an heir, as a real estate agent. I mean, you're yeah. And then, how does that turn into investment opportunities? I guess as a follow up as well. Sure. So every state's a little different. I don't know much about Oregon. You know, full disclosure, I'm an expert in California. Every county is different within states as well. But generally, there's two types of transactions. There's the majority, which is just procedural. Once the estate has the authority to sell the property then it's like any other transaction. There's usually some other paperwork involved that can be complicated, but it's not rocket science. And then there's a minority of cases that the court has to approve, or maybe court even confirms the sale in the court office. And now LA is the largest probate court in America. All of our probates done in one building. And so the consolidation makes it easier for me to find a lot of business. So you know, a small percentage of a large number is still a big number. So in LA, we do 800 probates a month. Only 50 a month get sold at court, but 50 sells a month to court is a lot for me. If I get you know, two or three of those, that's a great business. So as an agent, I would say there's three different places where you have a chance, or as an investor, there's three different chances you have to get business. One is I would call pre-probate before they have the authority and there's different ways to approach that. You can search probate filings. And as an investor, you can approach them or as a realtor before they've gotten their approval and, and market to them and they choose either make an offer. I, and I do both. I have investors. I literally have one before I made this, made, made to your call, where you know, they filed for their probate approval. They didn't get it, but we, we sent them an offer unsolicited. And attorney's great. We love your offer. You know, can you see a property on Saturday just to confirm it and we'll, you know, write it up. So those are pre-probate. And there's companies that sell that data. You can, that I know investors and realtors who mail to them, call them, text them, email them, different methodologies. Once they're in probate and they have authority, then you can either contract with the estate to list the property as an agent or as an investor, buy the property if it's on the market or not. And then some go to court for confirmation. And that's one of the areas I like the most because they're more complicated, more difficult. Some, those are difficult cases, but I find the difficult cases are the ones with the opportunities. So those are the ones I, I try targeting on first. 
So when you say a difficult case, like what, I mean, are some of the hurdles that these difficult cases face? Yeah, I guess why, why would it be difficult? One Amon now has 70 heirs. So get 70 people to agree on something. Another one is of the heirs, of the 10 or 12 heirs, one feels like he's entitled to live in the property forever. And so when they sell the property, are they selling it vacant or not? Well, sometimes there's some tricks to get the court to order it to be vacated. If you're an heir and you're getting money from the sale of the property, if you don't vacate the property and cause the sale to fall apart, you're causing harm to the other heirs. And so there's a process I use to try to get the judge to kind of go on record that the property is vacated before the close of escrow. As an investor, you can imagine what a nightmare that would be to buy a property and find out that the decedent's nephew is living there with three other people and they're dealing drugs and whoever knows what's going on. The kind of people who do that are not typically, you know, entrepreneurs or employed gainfully. The kind of people who want to live in a house for free are kind of rough customers. So I deal a lot with different eviction attorneys and, and other types of attorneys. Partition action is another one. I love Partition actions or what's the term they use for that? What are partition actions? Yeah, I was going to say heirs property is another term that's used. So you have, let's say a a father has a property and he he wills it to to say two siblings, right? He's going to give his property to Joe and Bob. Joe wants to sell the property. Bob lives there and doesn't pay rent, mortgage or anything. He's happy living there for free. He only owns half the property, but he controls it in a sense. Physically, he's there. Mm-hmm. And his brother is scared of him or can't really do much about it. And so what do you do? So you, there's something called a partition action where if they don't want to sell the property, then in, at least in California law, and this is similar in other states too, I know in Florida in particular, you can bring an action that goes to court and says, look, I want to sell. He doesn't. Please force the sale of the property at a fair market price. And the court will appoint a referee and will list the property and sell it at fair market price and give the heirs their percentage of the dollars. So it's a complicated process. You have to know how to do that. Most of the time, the other party folds and, and doesn't force the partition action. But again, many people see you know, a property we own, only own 50% and see that as a problem. I see that as an opportunity because if you can solve the problem, I had a client who bought a property. He bought half interest in a property for $350,000. Somebody had gone to court at buying at three twenty-five. dollars and the property, 100% was worth about a million dollars in round numbers. So the half was worth about 500000 So my client, instead of, while the other buyer was willing to pay three twenty five, my client paid three fifty. Two problems. One, you got to force the guy to sell. That's a partition action. Second problem, there was a tenant in the property who was a problem tenant and, and hard to evict. But my client only paid three fifty for the property. And so once he owned half, he got the other party to realize they have to agree to sell. And of course, property values went up last year. So now it's worth $1.275 million. So my client's going to clear six twenty-five dollars on his three fifty dollars investment. So again, that problem can potentially be a great opportunity. So with the partition actions and some of these other things that you've listed, are you soliciting an attorney to do that? Or are you helping your clients like fill that paperwork out for themselves? And are they submitting it? Like, I guess kind of What's the level of like professional service you guys are, are using? So there's a whole controversy as whether or not you're even allowed to fill out the paperwork with your client. As a real estate agent, I can fill out a purchase contract with my client because I'm empowered by law to do those actions, but I'm not empowered by law to do a probate filing or partition action filing or eviction. 
So there is a group of people called document preparers that do that, that I've referred people to. But more commonly, I use an attorney. I just find that a great attorney in that niche will usually solve the problem cheaper, faster, better than doing it on your own, like anything else. So I have a Rolodex of eviction attorneys, a Rolodex of partition specialists. I have a Rolodex of civil litigators, probate litigators. I mean, I call them for business. They call me back with referrals. That's basically part of my business now. So going back to your client who purchased half of a property for $350,000. So how did that opportunity even present itself? Sure. So this is a case where somebody died and he had been divorced. So he had a wife and he had an ex-wife. And so for whatever reasons, he left half the property to his ex-wife's. He had children through his ex-wife. So he left it really, I think, to his, his son through the ex-wife. Right? That's the son. And, and so not uncommon in divorces, you have to kind of identify where you want the property to go. So you have this wife who passed and she had her son. And then you had this other wife who passed and has a son. I'm sorry. No, no. She's alive. Her son's handling for her. So you have these two parties that don't, they don't really know each other. They don't care for each other. But to them, it's just an asset. They just want the money. One wanted to live in the house. The other one just wanted to sell it and take the cash and, and go on their way. So that one, because, so that one was complicated because one of the halves was a probate. So in probate court, it occasionally happens that the estate is selling not a house, they're selling half interest in the house. And so again, most people see that and go, oh, it's just half interest. It's complicated. There's another party. They don't want to, they don't want to sell. So I don't get involved with it. And I see that like, oh, they don't want to sell. Great. Because if my client buys it, we'll force them to sell. They, you don't get to choose when you only own half the property. You have to go. It's even majority. If one party, I, I don't want to say I, I'm sharing with you the law, but my experience and what attorneys have told me, if one party owns any of the property, they have the right to force everybody to either buy them out or sell the property at fair market value. So it came to court confirmation sale where an estate was selling half the property. And I saw that and said, well, that was a good opportunity. And I calculated the numbers and said, that's really cheap. I mean, if you just bought the property for 350 and sat on it, you know, you're going to make some money over time if you can afford to do that. And that's what my client did. Very interesting. So you came across that opportunity because you were aware of the case. And I mean, does like a sale opportunity like that, I mean, how would a normal person go about finding that? You know, like- I don't think they could. I, I think, look, my website is thelaprobateexpert.com. I literally track every single probate case in LA County with real estate. I track every single court sale. We update our database at least twice a week. So we're, we're watching every single one. We're digging through under crooks and crannies. Nooks, to find, nooks and crannies. Nooks and crannies <laughs> to find the one that everybody else is going to miss. That's the one that I want. Burn it's it always, stones. That's AJ's favorite comment. You got to yeah, burn it, more stones. Exactly. And I always feel like that when, when an investor or realtor is trying to slide one through, like in hockey, trying to slide it behind the goalie, I wouldn't be there to grab it the last second. And, and that's, that's where the money is, I find. The more the property is not listed in the MLS, and I love reading the court papers when they'll say, oh, we don't need to list the MLS for these reasons. That's like, great. Nobody else saw it but me. Fantastic. Like, I couldn't be happier. I know it's not the rules. You know, I had an attorney once tell me, I called the listing agent and said, I'm just curious, why is it not listed in the MLS? 
And he said, well, the property you know, is too messed up to be in the MLS. I said, really? He said, well, you can talk to the attorney if you want. Once the, you know, the other agent says, you can talk to my client. Well, that's like letting me into the shower at the sorority house. I mean, I'm going to go in and talk <laughs> to your client. You allow me to? Fine. So I called the attorney up and said, what's the story? He goes, yeah, the property is in such bad condition. It can't go in the MLS. I said to him, I know I have five properties right now worse than this one. It can't be that bad. Like I've had dead animals. I've had half burned out houses. You can't tell me. And it wasn't. And so when I went to see the property, it was just a case where I think the listing agent just wanted to double in the deal and keep it on the sly. And literally all I did was order junk out and then one day and then Molly Maids the next day to clean it up. And it was pretty and smelled nice. Took new pictures, put them less and resold it and made, I think, you know, my commission plus $50,000 in like three weeks. So when somebody says you can't see the house, I want to see the house. That's where the money is. And I would say this, I think that as you're talking to newer investors, now I'm mindful of who our, our audience, I think that the money is made by overcoming obstacles and solving problems. I think too many people think the money is the easy deals, you know, like cryptocurrency, you know, invest $10,000 and magically become a million dollars. I'm not that smart. I mean, I'm a pretty smart guy, but I haven't figured that out and how that works. But what I do know is if you solve problems other people can't, you get paid. And oftentimes a lot of money. And so it's worked for me to, to look for problems and roll up my sleeves and solve them. And that's how I make my money. That is really informative. And so what is your process like when it comes to tracking all these cases? I mean, you were saying that there's, I mean, did you say 50 or 60 a week or was that a month? There's 800 probate cases a month. There's 50 sales a month that go to court confirmation sale. Yeah, I mean, that's a quite a large volume. Do you, I mean, are you using VAs or yes. like what's your process to, you know, just find all those nooks and crannies? Yeah. I mean, I started doing it myself to learn. And I think that's important that, that if you're going to delegate something, you have to know the process. And so I, I started tracking all the sales, you know, one type and I delegated that and then another type and delegated that and no type and delegated that. So I, now I track all the court sales. I track all the non-court sales. I track sheriff sales, which are judicial foreclosures. I track bankruptcy sales. So I have different VAs doing different pieces of that puzzle and different marketing activities based on each one. But yeah, I use a lot of VAs. Will you dive into like what you look for on a probate? Like you're tracking the case. Like, how do you track the case in terms of there's court documents that are posted online that are available for review? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you look for in those documents? What type of documents are the ones that, you know, there's like they schedule sales or I, I mean, I'm just yeah. a little unfamiliar with yeah. Yeah, and this is specific to LA County, of course. So that, that's the thing. Now, I've coached agents around. The, I'm building out a national team of agents. So I happen to work for EXP Realty, which is a national company, which gives me a unique opportunity to add people nationally underneath me. And I've coached agents in numerous counties, and they're all a little different. Mm-hmm. But what I'd say is, if you know everything about your county, then you are the expert in your county, and there's the expertise is the value. So every county is different. Every process is different. In my case, you know, I'm tracking real estate. So I want to get, get all the filings and then figure out which ones have real estate attached to them. And then those that have attached to them, which ones are listed. And I want to get rid of those. And then, because I'm not going to chase after those. But 
there's certain forms that come out over and over again, and I have a VA who checks them and puts them in a spreadsheet, and then I check it once a week to see you know, what they've missed maybe or what. And there's certain highlights I'm looking for. I love properties that are not listed in the MLS. I love that. I love properties. And then we also track the list price versus Zillow, Redfin, First American's AVN. So I flag them in, outside of a certain range. We have a color coding system and a point system. So I'll track the ones based on those numbers. So, I mean, I just do a lot of different activities, but it's different in every county. And I would say that the first thing is to learn the process in your county. And then from there, figure out what the key metrics are. But again, you're looking for the nook and cranny that everybody else is missing in any place in real estate. That's really what you're looking for. So in probate, sometimes cases get rescheduled at the last minute or continued because a piece of paper is not done right. That's what you want. You want to you find out about that. So... I heard it in your voice when you said, you know, I love the ones that aren't listed on the MLS. Love, love. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, why? Why do you love those so much? And like, what's that opportunity that's presented there? I mean, I think first off, emotionally, I know that generally speaking, that's somebody cheating the system. They're cheating their customer, which pisses me off. They're reflecting poorly on my profession. And I have a chance not only to call them out and stop them, but make money at it. I get paid to stop people from cheating their customers. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm Robin Hood, but in some regards, I feel like I'm Robin Hood. And I think that there are people who coach probate and sell classes who kind of teach people, oh, you can get the properties on the cheap because these estates don't care and they're vulnerable and the property's out of state or whatever. That's not me at all. The opposite. I want to jump on that agent who's trying to steal the property and intercept it and save it. For, and my client make money on it. And as a result, the state gets more money because we outbid them than, than their first one did. So that's, that's a good part of it. And also, you know, the money is, is in finding deals where there's a little less competition. And so not a, I'll, I'll give you another example that some estates, some agents think they're really clever. And when they're, they're tied to the investor, they don't offer commission. Right? They figure, well, no agents can be interested in bidding on this property because there's no commission. And that, at first, it kind of feels a little slimy because you know they're getting paid. Why aren't they offering commission? Something, you know something's wrong there, right? It just sounds mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. But the good news in California is if you overbid the property, half of the overbid goes to the agent as the commission. Now, I, Wait, what's an overbid? So when it goes to court, what happens is you know, an, an agent will list a property and sell it to their friend, the investor, let's say for $500,000. And okay. since the investor is buying it and promises to relist with them, they're not taking a commission. Or the investor will pay them as a buyer's agent, but not as a listing agent. So there's no commission involved, right? And for whatever reason, the court has to approve the sale. So basically at a court confirmation hearing, you can show up that day with a cashier's check for 10% of your bid, as long as you want to overbid them by 5% plus $500. So on a $500,000 property, you have to be willing to pay $525,500 and have a check for $52,500, a cashier's check made out to the estate. But I've seen the, I've been tracking that property for weeks, so I know it's coming. I prepare my client, get the check. And they'll think, well, you're not going to be bothered with that because there's no commission. But little known rule is of the overbid money, half that comes to the agent as commission. And I, I carry with me the probate code. I have a book right here. You can't see it on camera. Oh, I guess I'll show it to you. But there's a probate code book, the blue book right there. And uh, I, have a, I have the right pages highlighted. And I bring it to court, my briefcase. 
And the agent always goes, oh, you know, there's no commission. I say, well, actually, Your Honor, probate code 10164.02 covers this. When it's overbid, the commission comes to the agent. And the listing is always spitting bullets and whining and crying afterwards. But the law was written to protect the states from being ripped off by listing agents like that. And I feel like I'm helping preserve our industry and our good name. Yeah. There's a saying about slaughtering the golden goose. Yep. You know, when you just want to, you know, harvest the eggs, there's no reason to give yourself a bad name by taking advantage of people. Sheep get sheared and pigs get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's truth to that. I think that I'm going to do the work over time and, and put the effort in rather than try to find a shortcut that's going to cheat somebody out of money. Wow. That sheds a lot of light on, you know, kind of what happens in probates and how real estate is handled. Stuff that I've never heard before, but it it does make sense that there's a little bit of an underbelly there that isn't seen by everyone. Yeah. I mean, I, I like hearing about the opportunities that there is with just kind of dealing with people. I mean, like the buying, you know, the portion of the property and and then forcing the sale or, you know, solving people's problems for them. Uh, it sounds... Sounds super, super interesting. But also sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I work anyhow. I mean, I'm in business every day. So I've got nothing else to do but work part of the day. I might as well work on real estate. Yeah. I think one of the things I would say that one of the principles I try to use is real estate is a team game. It's often seen as individual, but I think it's wrong. And, and so for me, I'm always working with investors on probate stuff. And I have different investors and in different pieces of, of the probate. And so if you're an investor, I'd say find the realtor in your area who, who really specializes in probate and wants to work with you on finding these properties and working on getting these properties and, and kind of co-op your marketing a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll offer for free my VAs and the data analysis and writing offers and a lot of the analytics and stuff. And I have agents, I mean, I have investors who will drive properties. I have one literally. We made some offers and an attorney responded and he's going to go see the property. I can't go on Saturday. So he's going to go without me. Oftentimes, you don't have clients that committed that you would trust that with, but we work together on this stuff. So I would really urge you, if you're interested as an investor or an agent, find an investor agent to work with. And and that way, you're you're kind of taking a bite of the apple from two sides. So can you explain like the, I feel like we've touched on the real estate agent piece when it comes to probate, but how is an investor involved as a part of that team? So I think that there's certain things investors can do that agents can't approaching properties that are, you know, they have a client or they have a listing agent already. You can get intel by approaching the client, the seller that I can't get as an agent. And also, you know, you can offer the property and offer on the listing. It's hard to do both as an agent. But so what we do is once we identify properties, we, you know, put together unsolicited offers from the investor. And then I also, you know, solicit them to list the property. And once you're in conversation, I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, we don't want to list it. We just want to sell it. Oh, great. I'll call my friend who's, you know, makes offers on your property. Oh, it's funny. He wrote it himself on our property already. Well, it's not funny. We did that on purpose. So we, well, we're both are chasing the same deals by working together. Interesting. So you guys are chasing the same deals. Mm-hmm. Really, really neat. That's super cool. All right. Shall we move on to our Final four questions. I think it's time. How about I start us off with the first one? Dun, dun, dun. All right. <laughs> What's one piece of advice you would give your 25-year-old self? Play for the long game. I think real estate and marketing in general is the long tail is the, is the way to play for. You have to get business to pay your bills right away. 
but understand that marketing is about you know a two or three year cycle time, and that you have to have a, a system in place that's going to yield its return over two or three year period. Taking the the low hanging fruit when you can, but play for the longer game. My brother and I are very much long in real estate. We we very much enjoy the Burr method, buying properties, refinancing them, holding them. We've recently gotten a syndication where we've committed to selling some properties, but boy, figuring out how to just keep them would be certainly, certainly nice, but we shall see what happens in the future. One thing I learned from playing poker is that, you know, you have your short-term decisions and you have your long-term decisions. And the way to become a winning poker player is by focusing on that long-term expected value. Right. I think I'm more speaking specifically as a, you know, for acquisitions, when your investor looking for deals, that the, the thought is you talk to a homeowner or, or somebody owns a property and they want to do something today. Understand that if you stay in touch with them in the long run, the real money, when I talk to professional investors, an inordinate amount of their business comes from somebody they talk to and then two years later calls them back. And I think that's where investors fall down is they're, they're out running around and they're just looking for the transaction and it comes across. But it's a relationship game. And if you can develop a relationship and stay in touch with people over a two, three-year period, you're going to get a lot more return for your investment dollars. Whatever your marketing is, you're going to make a lot more money on it than you all just focusing on somebody who's wanting to do something today. Interesting. Okay. Bill, why don't you tell us about your first entrepreneurial endeavor? <laughs> you know, I would say selling cookies for Little League. Right. Mm-hmm. Some people had families, they just bought them all. My parents are all, heck no, you need to go out and sell these things. And so going door to door selling cookies for Little League and a paper route and a paper route when I was a kid, which I don't know, if, do you even know what that is anymore? But in the old days, you get a paper at your house. How'd you get there? Guys like me had bikes and you put bags on your bike arms and you would drive around and you would flip the papers on people's front porches. And then you had to collect the money at the end of the month. You had to collect the subscriptions for the, for the sales going forward. Yeah, having to go door to door to collect the dollars or the quarters from your You're customer. Like 14 years old, right? I mean, if you can do that, you can door knock in real estate for sure. We, uh, we always did like a run and we had to get pledges for how many laps we'd run. And uh, race, race. We, we went door to door asking for money. When I don't even know if we knew how old. <laughs> I don't even know if we knew exactly what we were doing, but yeah. it was pretty fun. Yeah, I sold mag. I sold magazines at door to door. I mean, our family. I mean, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying I was always the family. We had to go out and make the money, whatever it was, to play sports, to get the uniforms. I had to go out and hustle that money myself. My parents weren't just going to write a check for it. So nice. Yeah. All right. Next question: How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? You know, I didn't finish, but I went to uh, get an MBA. And I quit because I found out I was learning more reading the Wall Street Journal every day than I was going to, going to classes. And so I think that if you, if you work hard and you pay attention, it is way more viable than anything you're going to learn in school. And I think that I definitely encourage people to get a job you know, right away and get one with the biggest organization you can because you see kind of the bigger horizon. And that's always been my career advice is if you can work for a big corporation at any job, they'll take you. It's better than going to school. They're paying you something and you're going to learn a lot more, I think, while you're doing the job. So I, I would say that would be, I mean, I'm educated. I went to college and I, and I have a year of an MBA and other training since then my whole career. But I would say I really learned the most just doing my job every day and paying attention. Okay. And what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? 
So two times in my life, I paid the price for mistakes I made of undervaluing the integrity of the people I work with. I think the quality of people you work with is so critical in real estate because there's trust involved and in business. Trust, you don't need it until you need it. And if it's not there, then you're in trouble. And so I um, helped put together a company, a mortgage company when I was young. It was worth, I was worth on paper five or $6 million in 19, I think in 1989, 1990. And lost everything because the people I dealt with were just criminal and really couldn't do much. I, I was in a situation where I just was kind of, I'd made a deal to sound great when I started. And then I realized these are dishonest people and the whole thing fell apart. And then again, later in my life, I got involved with somebody who I knew was not honest. I knew that he was selfish, but it seemed like a great opportunity. I made good money for a while and then it works until it doesn't. And so I think now mm-hmm. I look back and say the quality of the people I work with is, is much more important than their skills or their success level. We'll find a way to make money if we work together and work hard. But there are people who have a lot of great track record, but behind them, they have a, a whole you know history of people they've destroyed along the way. And I don't want to work with them anymore. That is such just sage advice. Bill, I'm really impressed with just your perspective and your outlook. Like it's just a great experience to share. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. yeah pleasure, really, guys. really appreciate it. So if our audience wants to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Where can they learn more? What's the spiel? Sure. So I do a weekly free Zoom call on probate 4 p.m. Thursdays, Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern, probateweekly.com. If you want to register for that or see information, probateweekly.com. And then YouTube channel, Bill Gross EXP. If you search that, you'll find my YouTube. I do videos on real estate market investing. And I work with first-time investors and as well as probate material there as well. Awesome. Well, really appreciate you coming on the show. I know that I learned a lot today, so really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.